0: We're continuing on our studies for the Lenten season, and we've added Tuesday night to Sunday morning uh, with the idea that you get a little more out of what's there. And if you followed us along, we had the triumphal entry into Jerusalem as Jesus rides the donkey. That happened on Sunday, And then on Monday, he returns to the temple, clears out the temple. And then we talked about Tuesday, Sunday morning, as he's challenged and and, uh, challenged by the Jewish leaders, challenged by the politicians. And finally, late Tuesday night, uh, a traitor shows up in the temple. And that's what we talked about Sunday morning. And. Uh, we could say for sure that uh, who likes to be attacked every time you turn around? Uh, the, The attacks that we went over Sunday morning, there were other ones. The Bible tells us about the Sadducees. I didn't do that on Sunday morning. They attacked Jesus trying to trip Him up. But they were so uneducated that Jesus looked at him and said, you don't know what you're talking about. You have no idea what you're talking about. You don't understand the Scriptures. You understand that the Sadducees uh, were in charge. Uh, Caiaphas was a Sadducee. And the Sadducees didn't even believe in life after death. Okay? I mean, of all things that you ought to grasp, ought to be that. And they didn't believe in life after death, and that's why they're sad, you see. You yeah. always remember that. Because who can, who, who can ever live a good life if they think we die and that's it? All right. So, um, I didn't bother with that because Jesus almost didn't bother with it. He answered their question And it's one that my wife loves to remind me. And Jesus said in that answer, they asked a question. There's seven brothers, and the first one marries a lady. He died, and his brother married, and all seven brothers married the same lady. This is kind of a really stupid question. And so whose wife is she in heaven? And Jesus says, when the resurrection comes, there won't be husband and wife will be like the angel. My wife reminds me of that regular. <laughs> he says, you're going to leave me someday. I said, no, 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 no. It's not, it's, not, it's not what he meant to say. What he did mean to say was uh, in, on this earth, he said, when you're married, uh, the two become like one. Because there's a lot of things that we need and one person fulfills the things in us that we need. That's what marriage was meant to be. He said, when you resurrect, you'll have everything you need. Uh, you will be a whole person, exactly what God meant you to be. And so there's no need for somebody to prop you up. That's what we do husband and wives, we support each other. You'll have it all together then. I'm glad about that. I want to get it all together. And so, even though my wife doesn't take it that way. Now, if you put yourself in Jesus' shoes, you come into the temple Sunday, they're trying to calm the crowd down. They don't want you doing all the shouting. Monday, comes in, turns over to money changers' tables, throws everybody out, and they absolutely hate him. Tuesday, they're they're all loaded, uh, and they go after him. Tuesday, one after another, they're coming after him, trying to trip him up, do whatever they can with the goal of killing him. They, they want to kill him some way. And so uh, the question would be, would you get tired of that? I mean, how many times does somebody attack you before you say, that's enough, huh? Stop, all right? And I think uh, we are impression that if they come after me three or four times and they're pushing and pushing and pushing and doing everything in their power uh, to uh, destroy me after a while, I say, stop, will you? And you would, and I would be discouraged after a while. If somebody's pushing and pushing, shoving and always getting in your face after a while it's like, I'm tired of this. I don't want this anymore. I do not want to fight anymore. It's not what I want to do. And you think that's what Jesus would think. He don't think like we do. He does not react like we do. And he, like I've said to you before, he's so high above us. He's so superior. And uh, so we come to the Tuesday, and I put Tuesday not for today, <laughs> but uh, Tuesday, the week of, of Passover, or we call it Passion Week sometimes, uh, the week leading up to the death of Christ. It was a pretty active day. They're hounding him and chasing him around, asking him questions and uh, pushing and pushing and pushing. And so you'd say, well, you get awful sick of that. No, because you're going to read carefully through the text and you're going to find that, once again, he is superior as he walks through that temple. He sees things. He gets so excited He actually gets very excited. And so uh, Tuesday is uh, a day where there's a lot of opposition that's for sure. And we talked about the opposition to Christ. But I'm going to say Tuesday was a big day uh, for encouragement for Christ. And he actually got really happy on various Occasions, and we're going to look at four different occasions that happened on Tuesday. One of them seems to be on Monday. Sometimes it's hard to pin those down exactly, but uh, Tuesday, the things that encourage Jesus as he's being attacked and pushed and shoved. uh, All of a sudden, something happens, and he gets very excited of it. And so, you you we're going to look at now. Tuesday and Passion Week from the opposite point of view. And so you'll have a fuller concept of how Jesus thinks than the people who only come Sunday morning. Alright, so good. Three cheers for you that you're here to grasp a little more of the way Jesus behaves. And uh, so if we can put all these events in one day, it's a busy day. Tuesday is one of the busiest days of Passion Week. Monday, he rides into in the crowd and just disappears. Tuesday, he turns the tables upside down. but Or Monday, he turns the tables upside down. But Tuesday is a busy day. Now we Sunday morning was part of that. Now we're going to go the other side of it, the encouraging side of Tuesday in the temple with Jesus. Mark chapter 12, as we look at a series of things that happened Mark chapter 12 <coughs> and I'm going to begin at verse number 41 Mark chapter 12 verse number 41 this is just after they've fired these questions at him and tried to trip him up and of course he's turned the tables with verse 41, Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. And so, there are boxes in what that they call the treasury here, uh, big boxes, and they've got uh, like a horn-shaped uh, top, so the top is wider than the box, and they're pretty tall, they're pretty tall boxes and so it is the, the the temple is is made in in uh, uh layers um uh, it's cut into the hillside terraced is the right word and so when they when they built the temple on top of the mountain they made a series of steps and they'd make a flat area series of steps they make a flat area he was down in the lower Part when they came and attacked him. Now he's walked up the stairs. You kind of get away from the crowd. And where he is, it, it, so you get a concept of how big the temple was because we really never quite get that in our mind. The, the level he's on is called the Court of the Women. That's the name of it. And the treasury is there. And you can fit 15,000 people there. There's only one level. You can fit 15,000 people there. And it would be a place where uh, ladies were allowed to go. Uh, There's other levels where they're not allowed to go. This was the women's court. Ladies could go there. And uh, part of it was these big money boxes. And so uh, he's up. He's gotten away from the uh, courts where you teach. He walked up this to the court of the women, and there's 13 of these boxes that are lined up in a row. And they might have a, a name on it. One may be for the poor. Uh, one may be for the temple. One may be for sacrifices. And they, they're uh, listed uh, on each box what you want to donate to. And he says, Jesus is now... Uh, standing back from them, looking down over across these, and people are throwing money in, and he says, uh, "Many that were rich cast in much." And so it was kind of the thing: is uh, if you got a lot of change, <laughs> you get a bag full of change. I'm going over to temple, give my gift. All right, and so they got their gift, and he take the bag and dump it in, you hear all the coins, making a lot of noise as the coins fall. (laughs) I gave a lot. And the giving at the temple was a competition among the people who were wealthy, who can give the most. And they actually made a couple of laws about giving. Uh, The first law was you cannot give all of your living. Because there are people who would come in and say, watch this. I'll give you everything and throw it all in. And it, you can't do that. You have to still be able to live. But it was an unreasonable expectation that people would think, whoa, that person is so wonderful. They gave so much money. He's watching these people throw their money in, and people are kind of shouting, and, hey, hallelujah, nice job, lots of money. And that's the atmosphere that he's watching. Verse 42. And there came a certain poor widow. There's two words together, poor. That is, she's of the lowest class. A pauper would be the correct word. And she's a widow. Her husband is dead. No means of support. And she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. Uh, Two mites would be... Uh, A mite would be like one-seventh of a penny. So they had coins uh, that were minted, and they're just little copper things, and there would be one-seventh of a penny, so it's not much. And she threw in two. The reason she threw in two, one of the reasons, is that was the lower limit. All right. They said you can't throw your whole livelihood in. We, we don't think that's wise. But you can't throw one penny in either. So we're going to set a limit. Two mites is the smallest offering that you can put in. And so uh, she comes up after all the big shots threw their money in. She quietly walks over and drops two one-sevenths of a penny and drops them in. Those two little coins almost make no noise at all and drop in the box. And Jesus is all excited. And he called, verse 43, called unto him his disciples and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, hey, look, look at her. Do you see that? Do you see her? I want to point her out. Everybody else is pointing out all who brought the most, but I want to really get it right. I want you to look at that woman, see her, see her you didn't tell because she's dressed in clothes that are just above rags, and she's got something on her, probably a veil or something, that shows she's in mourning, so we know she's a widow. She's lost her husband, and she just put in she put in two mites. that's the lowest limit you're allowed to give. Verily I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast in more than they all which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance. But she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. So, what can you buy with two mites or two pennies? Um, You can buy enough bread to eat for a day. It's about what you can get. All right? Now she's somehow, who knows, doing laundry or whatever, is trying to survive, and she's made enough so that she can eat today. And Jesus said, look, 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 look. See it? See it? She took that and dropped it in the box and walked away. She just put all her food in the box. He said, she's given all she's got. She had nothing else. So that means you're going to go home and not eat, not breakfast, not lunch, not supper. So he said, if you look at the proportion, they're throwing in, who knows, hundreds of dollars, but they got thousands in her back pocket. She put in two pennies which was 100% of what she had. So her gift is obviously larger than theirs. We look at things through the eyes of Jesus Christ and he's very excited about it and he says she threw in more than they did uh, because all of her living went in the box. Now, here's the interesting thing. She never knew that Jesus was watching. She didn't know. And he didn't say, hey, lady, nice job. Didn't say nothing. She came in and put two pennies in and walked away. And she never knew that she was going to be recorded in these books as the biggest giver of the day. Right. And so Jesus gets excited about a good giver as he looks at not what you have. He doesn't look at us for what we have. Sometimes he we said, "Well, I want to give a lot too. How much you got?" You know, I say, well, who's the great preacher? Billy Graham preaching millions of people all over the world. I preach in East Shelby. Okay, that's what God gave me. All right, is, where's is that? Nobody, people ask me. Say, I, they hear I, yeah, I hear you're a minister. Yeah. Where are you? Where are you? East Shelby. Oh. They never say. Oh, I heard of that. Nobody ever told me that. <laughs> it's okay. It's so what God gave me, and so I take what I have, put it in the box, put it in the box. And the same is true for you. You say, well, God didn't give me talents I can't sing. It's okay. You can run a vacuum cleaner, I'll bet. Some people can One of my favorite things that happened here in the beginning was there was a little lady, she sat right there, and uh, her name was Hazel Howard. And we were over here working, and sometimes we worked all night. We used to come on Friday and work all night Friday into Saturday, and then people would come, and we'd have been working all night. And we worked hard. A lot of us did a lot of work, and we were trying to put this thing together. And Hazel Howard said, I want to do something. I said, well, and she couldn't hardly walk. She barely walk. and uh, she had a uh, sort of a deformity, so her speech was slurred, and when she walked, her body swung like this from side to side. So uh, just, I always wonder how she ever didn't fall, and I'm sure she did fall. Uh, she said, I want to come and work. I think, well, what am I going to have you do I don't know what you can do. She couldn't run a vacuum cleaner. She couldn't do that. She said, can I clean the refrigerator? I said, I would love it. Now, we had an old refrigerator in there. It worked, but (laughs) it was nothing to write home about, okay? She came and took everything out and wiped it down and put it back in. And I thought that was one of the biggest contributions in the beginning when Hazel wiped out the refrigerator. Why? Because that was absolutely the most that she possibly could have done. And she did it. And uh, (laughs) she was the first one uh, who did that and she was the first one, I shouldn't tell you this, but there was an outhouse on the back when we got here. There's no running water here. There was an outhouse, there was a two holer on the back of the church. And that's what was here when we got here. She said, I got to use that bathroom. I said, Go ahead, you know. She's the only one to use the two holer. <laughs> and she wouldn't mind me saying that, so. Point is, Jesus gets very excited with it. I mean, look, look at her, look at, look at her, look at her. And he points her out, and she never knows. Why didn't he stop her and say, good job? She didn't need it. She had already made a decision in her heart. I'm going to give to God all I got for this day. Everything I own is going in the box. And I won't eat All day, but I'm putting it in the box today. And she went home with a happy heart. And I'm sure, because this is the way God works, I'm sure that she was more happy that day than she'd been in a long time. Because God does that, all right? God has a way of getting inside your heart when you do something for him and making it just, wow, I'm glad I did that. I love doing that. And so uh, uh, among the hypocrisy of the other givers, there stands one in that temple. And hypocrisy was everywhere. They've been being hypocritical to him with all the questions that they'd ask. And now they're throwing their money in just so that everybody will say, oh, aren't they wonderful? Among all of that, there stands one good giver. And Jesus, look, 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 look at her. So he didn't need to say anything to her, and that's why he let her go. She had already accomplished what he was trying to get everybody else to do. She'd already done it. He's trying to get his his followers to give of themselves and stop thinking about who's in charge and all the rest of it. He's trying to get everybody else to do that. She already did it. She made it up in her heart. Decided it and did it. And so he's very excited about this. And if you look right chapter 13 as he went out Out of the temple, one of his disciples saith unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And uh, if you look at Luke 21, um, it's interesting. There's a reason he pointed this out. Luke 21 and verse number 5. And as some spake of the temple and how it was adorned with goodly stones and gifts. Uh, He said, as for these things which you behold, The day will come in which there shall not be one left stone on another that shall not be thrown down. So they're going through the temple, walking up the stairs to this higher thing, and the disciples, they're saying, look at that. Look at that stonework. Look at it. It's a masterpiece. And it was beautiful. It was gorgeous. And what happened was very prominent people in the world, not just Jewish people, uh, Caesar Augustus sent something to hang in the temple. And there were golden shields mounted on the wall from Caesar Augustus. Uh, Herod who had spent 37 years uh, funding the building of the temple, he had a golden uh, grapevine made out of solid gold, and the grapevine crawled up the stones like a grapevine would, and there were these bunches of grapes all made from solid gold. And the place was filled with all kinds of beautiful things. Crowns, like I said, and uh, solid gold things that people wealthy had donated. And the disciples were walking by, look look at that. Look at that. That's fabulous. And Jesus said, no, look look at that. Look at that. I want you to look at that. There's two pennies went in the box. Look at that instead. Don't look at that. That's nothing. Because there's going to come a day when all of these stones, not one of them, will be in the position you see it now. And the Roman soldiers saw to it that not one of them, they even dug the foundations of the temple out and tore them and spread them all over until every stone, every magnificent gift on the wall was nothing but rubble. Nothing but rubble. And what will matter? Two pennies. That's what's gonna matter. Well, Jesus is very excited about that, and, and and amongst the constant assault, he has this bright moment. Look at this; is great. Look at that. We love it. All right. No, let's take a look at another one. Matthew twenty one. Another happy moment where Jesus is really please Matthew 21 in verse number 14 and the blind and the lame came to him that's Jesus in the temple and he healed them and when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David. They were sore, displeased. Now, what happened was Sunday, a couple days back on Sunday, as they're riding into Jerusalem, and he's on the donkey coming in, the parents of these children are singing, Hosanna to the son of David, and they're out of Psalm 116, they're taking the phrases that they know, and they're singing them. And... Now, children are running around in a temple. Just, it's, it's like, it's outside, okay, in huge areas. And of course, children are run around. And as the children get together, playing, running around, they say, hey, let's sing what we sang Sunday. And they're singing, Hosanna to the Son of David, Hosanna to the Son of David. And the big shot said, oh! We can't have that. They're singing that Hosanna to the Son of David. That's no good. They're very displeased. And verse 16, they said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? They can't do that. You can't have children singing out here, especially about Jesus. What's the matter with you? <laughs> It's the best thing I love to hear children sing. On Sunday morning, they get up there and sing. It's just wonderful. It's just wonderful. That's what I did when I was that big and that big and that big and that big. We sang, we sang, we sang, we sang. Say, Eric, how do you know every song by heart? Because I sang it a thousand million times. I know them because we sang them over and over as children. That's how I got to know when your mind is impressionable and you can sing along and you remember what it was. Harder to do that now, okay? But then it's simple. Here's these children simply repeating the song that they heard Sunday and they turn to Jesus. Did you hear that? Stop it! got I can't, can't be. And Jesus said to them, Yea, have you never heard out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise. Perfect. He said, this is perfect praise. Why? Because it's children without their heads all muddled up with grown up ideas and they're just happily singing praises. These are what they sing in heaven. Okay. Hosanna to the son of David. is what they sing in heaven angels are singing that. And uh, he says, no, this this is perfect praise. It says in Psalm number 8, yes, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise. And so we have good singing. Good singing. Made Jesus happy. Happy to hear children singing. And that's to me, the happiest things around there is just walk over there. You can go over there, walk over there, and see what's going on. It's wonderful. It's fabulous. It's worth more than this. You understand? Because they're learning as children to pray. I saw one of the books, I walked over there tonight, and there's one of the books laying there that they're saying, How to Teach Children to Pray fabulous. How many adults do I know that can't pray? They're learning over there. That's perfect. That's perfect. Perfect praise. So, uh, another bright moment in this very critical time uh, that Jesus is going through. Another bright moment. And uh, it is uh, the children singing. And he's not going to stop them. He says, boy, they're Right in tune. Perfect pitch. Perfect praise. Let them sing. <laughs> Happy thing for Jesus. Now, one of the happiest moments, John chapter 12. You see, we're going around back and forth because uh, these events are spread through the Gospels so that uh, they're here, there, and everywhere. And we find them and bring them together and it makes the we understand what happened that Tuesday. So I said, well, Jesus doesn't get down, doesn't get depressed because everybody attacks him. Because he's drawing strength from that two-penny lady. He's drawing strength and, and encouragement from children singing. He's got it right. He knows how to think. Now here's another one. This is a pretty unusual one. One that most people would uh, never hear of or notice. Uh, John chapter 12, verse number 20. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. Now, these people are from Greece. It's quite a ways, quite a ways away And they might be merchants. We don't know anything more than that they were Greek. But they came from Greece, and that's quite a ways away. And it's good so you understand when we're talking about Passover, we're talking about people everywhere. Because it was such a a fabulous show that they put on in the temple. Uh, And it was a beautiful experience. And people coming from Greece now... Uh, to worship at the feast 21. The same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. And Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. And so these strangers come up, they're Greeks, and they find, where's it? This guy looks like one of these people that's close to Jesus. Well, go ask him. They don't know which one's important, which one's not. And so they say to Philip, we want to meet Jesus, we want to see him. Okay, well, they're Greek, and everybody's throwing stones at him today, and everybody's, but yeah, hang on, let me check with Andrew. And Andrew, of course, Peter, Simon Peter's brother, and said, well, yeah, let's go tell Jesus. So they go, Jesus, Jesus, there's some Greeks over here. And they want to see you. And so you, you understand how did they, why do they want to see him? They didn't just walk in and, and oh that's a nice guy, let's talk to him. They've heard. They've heard as the crowd around them talks about Jesus. They've heard. They've he, raising people from the dead and everything. I I want to talk to him. He's fascinating. I want to go see him. And so this sets in motion one of the highest emotions that we see here. Jesus is thrilled with this. He's excited. He's so happy with it. And he's going to talk And uh, he's going to talk to them, and probably to his disciples along with him. And what he's going to say is really amazing. Verse 23, Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And so he says, uh, we want to, there's there's a moment in time there's a, a moment in time. And that particular hour, that moment in time has come when the sun is going to be glorified. Well, that sure doesn't sound like what they're doing to him all day, does it? <laughs> matter of fact, the next day and the next day, and they'll arrest him, and the next day they'll kill him. And so he says... This is the moment I've been waiting for when the sun will be glorified. They're going to kill you. Yeah, but don't you get it? See how excited I am? Verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die. It abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He says, I've got to die because if you hold a kernel of corn in your hand I found some seeds the other day that my father saved in an envelope and that's well let's see it was probably 18 years ago I'm looking at them there they are same ones he put in there, and there nothing happened they never got planted and so they're probably dried up long dead now but there they are what good is the seed if you don't plant it? Right? And what happens to the seed when you plant it? It's gone. It dies. It ceases to be. And then it produces a whole lot of fruit. Right? From one apple seed grows a tree and produces and produces and produces. And here he's talking about a, a, a corn of wheat. A kernel of wheat, one kernel, don't look like much, but we get two or three stalks coming up from the kernel, and we get lots of kernels from it. So he says, well, that's the way it's got to be. In order for this to grow, I've got to die. And why is he particularly saying this right now? Because these people are Greeks. They're Greek. They are not Jewish. They're Greek. He's been dealing with Jews for 33 and a half years. And now the Greeks have come to search him out. That's why he's suddenly so happy because what he wants to do is not just to be one seed, but to see it just grow and develop. Or in other words, his kingdom is going to grow and spread and it's going to Greeks. Okay? And it's going to Rome. And it's coming to America and England. It's going everywhere. And he says, if I don't die, that won't happen. Verse 25, he that loveth his life shall lose it. He that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. He said, if you walk around saying, I kind of got my own things I'm doing with my life, and I want to make sure I get these things. And if I need a little time for church, it's okay. I'll take that out. But I got my own goals, my own thoughts. He said, that's how you lose your life, and it slips through your fingers, because you're fooling around with that. He says, if he hates your life, or you say to yourself, whatever I could do in my life is not going to amount to anything, but if I serve Jesus, and I get behind him, and give my life to him, then my life is worth something. And what he's saying, that's what he, how he viewed it. He said, well, do I want to live? No, I want to die so that more good can come of it. And I'm not going to hang on to this life. I'm going to give it away. That's what he's telling us to do. Verse 26, if any man serve me, let him follow me. Where I am, there also shall my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor he said, Well, why would I give up my life? I got stuff I want to do, things I want to accomplish. Why would I give it up? Because he says, If you come and follow me, then God, my Father, will put honor on you and what you do. Come and follow me. He's telling this to the Greeks. So, you want to be a disciple of mine? You come. And then you say, Well, what do I get when I give it up? You get God's approval. God's approval. And that's worth more than anything I know. If I got God's approval, I'm gone. That's what I want. All right? That's what I want. More than anything else. <coughs> now, he's honest. Jesus is always honest. 27. Now is my soul trouble. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. He's thinking about they're going to nail him through his hands and through his feet. Uh, And he's thinking about something like that. Crown of thorns, they're going to shove it on his head until his head bleeds. And they're going to whip him. And the goal of whipping people before they crucified him was to get the life out of them so they didn't hang there for long. They're going to whip him as close as they can until he has much life left. They're going to shove something like this on his head. They're going to nail him. And when I think about nailing, I think about through your hands, and you could almost take that, but not through your feet. Can you imagine being nailed through the feet? The agony of it all. Oh. And he knows this is what's coming, and he says, it's kind of, sometimes It's overwhelming. When I see what they're going to do me in two days. When I think about it. So what should I say? Save me from this? But for this cause came I unto this hour. I've been waiting for this moment in time. Why? Because I'm going to die. And however I die, it will spread out from here. And these Greeks totally outside the covenant people, totally outside the promised people, these Greeks are going to take it home, and they're going to know about me, and what a thing it was. So therefore, verse 28, Father, glorify thy name. Let's show them, God, who you are. He says, glorify me, and that means kill me. Kill me. But, Father, glorify yourself. And then there came a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So, he's so excited about the prospect of the Greeks coming and asking to see him that he just, oh, it's coming. I've been, wa- I've been waiting for this moment in my life, and it's just arrived, and I'm ready to take it. And I know it's not going to be easy, but it's going to be worth it. Everything is going to be worth it. And so, Father, glorify thy name. Let's do this. Let's do this. And God speaks from heaven in a voice, saying, I have both glorified it, my name, and will glorify it again. I'm both glorified. (laughs) Do you know how many times that voice came? Well, as far as recorded, that voice came when Jesus went into the water to be baptized by John the Baptist. And they pushed him under the water, and he (laughs) came up out of the water, and there's a voice, God. And he said, this is my beloved son. I love him. I'm well pleased with what he's doing because he's starting the march to Calvary. I love what he's doing. This is my son. And uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration, you get Peter, James, and John. They go up there, and Jesus suddenly starts shining, and the light's coming out of the inner parts of Jesus, and then suddenly uh, this cloud and smoke and Moses and Elijah come down, and they're looking at it, and there's a voice. This is my beloved son. Hear him. Listen to him. Says to those three. It's like, they listened pretty good. They got that. And now here's the third time, the voice. And God's, God's happy up there, too. So, this has been our plan from the very beginning. From the very beginning it says in, back in Isaiah, prepare me a body and I'll go down and die. And from the very beginning it says from the foundations of the world, or that is when God decided to make the world, he had already decided that Jesus was going to die. They made an agreement. Shall we make this race of people? Well, what if they rebel? Well, if they rebel, what should we do? Well, then I'll go down and die and save them. So let's let's make Adam. That might have stopped you or me, huh? You make this race and they're going to rebel. And they're going to do every wicked thing you can think of. That's okay. Make them. I'll go down and die in their place. And so this is very exciting, and God up in heaven is saying, this was the moment we wanted, when we rescued this race of people that we've created because we loved them, and we've loved them ever since, and now the moment has come, and so the voice comes, I will glorify, and I'm going to do it again. What's he going to do? You're going to die on that cross. Glory to God. And three days later, he's coming up. That's glory to God. Going to be the most exciting moment in the history of humankind when Jesus walks out of the tomb. All right? Now, watch this. Verse 29. People, therefore, that stood by heard it, and uh, uh, said that it thundered, and others said an angel spoke to him. They couldn't quite grasp it they couldn't quite take it in why because it's a moment between the son and the father and they're communicating their love and thoughts to each other and it's just too high for people to take in i I don't know what that was i think it might have thundered because the nature of the conversation is so high verse 30 jesus answered said this voice came not because of me wasn't God encouraging me. I already am encouraged. But it's for you. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. God looking at what he's going to do. He's going to destroy the power of Satan. Crush it. We're going to get rid of him. And if I be lifted up from the earth we'll draw all men unto me. Why does he say we'll draw all men? Because those Greeks are standing there. Right? It was those Greeks who fired up the imagination of Jesus and <coughs> said I'm going to be lifted up Verse 33, this he said, signifying the death he would die. People answered him, we've heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. How sayest thou the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? He said, we thought that Christ was just going to come and live forever. Who are you talking about? Jesus said unto them, yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. Well, you have light. Believe in the light, that you may be the children of light. And he said, "I'm going to give you this moment, right now, to understand. Open your minds, understand it. Take it in. Take it in. These things Jesus spake and departed and did hide himself from them." And he'll go on to explain because there's so much rejection of him around. He left and disappeared somewhere, but he said, "You got a chance. Your chance to believe. You just heard a voice from heaven. You may not understand it, but you heard what I said. You're going to get this moment." So he's very excited by the Greeks coming, and and it, it turns into almost a worship session for Jesus as he. Does this that thrills him so much? All right, so you have a chance to understand to be the children of light, we need to do it. All right, now there's one more we're going to look at Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. This also happens the same day. Mark chapter 12 verse number 28. One of the scribes came having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well asked him which is the first commandment of all? So the scribes are the ones that came and said by what authority do you teach here? Who do you think you are teaching in our temple? Here's a scribe. He comes by himself, all right? And he comes and says to Jesus, what's the first commandment of all? Uh, in all the commandments, and they had uh, something like, uh, I don't know, it was like 2,016 rules that they had. Uh, As they'd made a lot themselves. And he says, of all those rules, all those commandments from the Old Testament, those commandments, what's the main one. What's the first one? And Jesus answered, and the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. The second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. There's the scribe. From the arrogant class, the most arrogant class, he come ask Jesus, "What's the great command?" By himself, though, he didn't come with a crowd. Thirty-two, and the scribes said unto him, "Well, Master, hast thou said this truth? For there is one God, and there is none other but He. To love Him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, and all the strength. To love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices." Here's a scribe who comes from almost that uh, revolting group of men who are trying to kill Jesus desperately. And he says, I understand, Jesus, that of all this stuff, there he's in the temple, all the sacrifices and all the stuff going on and all the fancy clothes and all the high priest's hat and all the things that are part of this. He says, I understand that this don't mean anything really. What really makes a difference is I love God with my heart and soul and I love my neighbors. That's what makes a difference. And that's more than all of this. And Jesus saw that he answered discreetly and said unto him, thou art not far from the kingdom of God. A scribe? A scribe? Those arrogant, they're lawyers actually, arrogant lawyers, he comes up and he's been thinking. He said, you know, I think all of this stuff, it's okay, but what really matters is do I love God down inside? And, and God said, oh. Jesus said, you're a good thinker. You're a good thinker. You've been thinking. You understand. And You're a good thinker. You really are close to the kingdom. Why does he say he's close and not in the kingdom? He's telling them, you got it right. You've been thinking about it. You're almost there. What do you got to do? Just do what it says. And you'll be there. You'll be in the kingdom. You already know what to do. You need to love God. If you love God, you'll be in the kingdom. You'll be there. So you got it right. So here's a scribe uh, who many of the scribes focused on uh, the sacrifices. Some of them, uh, a lot of them focused on Sabbath rules. They hounded Jesus for three years about the Sabbath rules. A lot of the scribes worried about clean and unclean. When they ate a regular meal, they washed their hand about eight times. And I don't mean a little scrub like you and I do in the sink, okay? When you're a scribe, you're eating your meal, you start this way. And you wash this hand down, down to the elbow. And you wash this one down to the elbow. And then you turn them upside down and you wash this way down to the tip of the hand so that makes sure nothing stays on your arm and then you so you do that about 8 times in a meal mm-hmm. so you don't get unclean All right. I've eaten with dirty hands plenty. It's not what makes you clean or unclean, okay? (laughs) All right. But they they were focused on these crazy things. And now here's one. He's got it right. Isn't it wonderful that in the middle of that hypocrisy and all that stuff, one of these guys figured it out. One of these guys used his brain and thought, and Jesus said, you're almost there. You're right there. I'm so glad to hear how close you are to it. So, in this day, we got a good thinker, good seeker, good singing, good giver. Look at who it is. That's a woman. First one's a woman. Next one's children. Next ones are Greeks, foreigners. And the last one, he makes the list, a scribe. God's ha- Jesus is happy. Why? Because in spite of the hypocrisy that may surround them, people are standing up and saying, I get it. That little woman that put those pennies in, she said, I got it. I understand. I put my pennies in, I understand. Yeah. She wouldn't let the hypocrisy swallow her up. And that was a thing that I had to come to in my life because I came to a point where I said... I've been to church and it's full of hypocrites. I don't need it. I don't need it. So I quit going to church. I don't need it. I'm sick of hypocrites in church. I don't want it. I don't even want what they got. And then God kind of whispered in my ear and said, so a hypocrite keeps you from me? Who's the fool? You are you let a hypocrite keep you from God. Right? That's what I came to. So, in this temple, they're they're planning the murder of Jesus in the back room. They are full of hypocrisy. They're stealing from the people in the court where they're selling doves and changing money. And uh, The sacrifices are a bunch of malarkey because nobody cares anyway. Here's some people that Jesus runs across. A woman gives two, she's got it. Children are singing, they got it. And the the Greeks come seeking. Where's Jesus? We want to talk to them. They got it. And then one scribe and a whole crew, he got it. So there's a very positive side of Tuesday. We looked at the negative side of the opposition on Sunday. And then we put together the encouragement. So what is Jesus? He is not one who gets down because of circumstances. He is not one who drags around and, oh, this is really bad. These people, it's not him. That is not him. He's up here. He's above it all. He's up here and he can see the widow. He can hear the children. And he can answer to the Greeks until it excites him and God answers him back from heaven. And he can say to the scribe, you you got it. You're almost there. You got it. And so it's all, in the midst of hypocrisy, there can be truth. In the midst of evil, there can be good. And we need that in this world today. We need in this world, they didn't know that whatever's going on around us, Jesus can see when we respond. If we sing from our hearts, if we give all of what we got, and if we come seeking, we say, Jesus, tell me more about you, he responds to that. And then if we get it right, he says, there, You've been thinking, good for you, you're getting there. All right? So that changes. Tuesday, from what we looked at Sunday, now it becomes a much wider expanse as we see more of the heart of Jesus going into Wednesday where he will disappear. We don't know what he did. We don't know what happened Wednesday. Sunday, come in, Monday, money changes, Tuesday, the conversation and all these little bright points that he points out. Wednesday, I don't know. I don't know. Nobody knows. Till Thursday. And we start in again. Alright, that fill in the blanks a little. That's what we want to do is give you the cream of the crop. Alright? Next week we'll do some more Thank that.